On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Alonso's return to the podium, uh, the big first lap incident that caused a red flag, and of course, Max Verstappen breaking yet more records. Let's go. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back of the Grid. I'm your host this week, Tom, and I am joined just by Chris this week. Hey, everyone. Hello. So, yeah, we're going to run down what is the final race in a quite intense feeling triple header, I think. I don't yeah. know about you, but I am ready for a week off. I, I'm, this feels I mean, yeah. about as hectic as I remember F1 ever being, especially yeah. with some of them being sprints as well. It just feels yeah. like it's been nonstop for three weekends. Yeah, so, I mean, I hate to think what the teams feel like at this point. Because if I, as a spectator, there's not even been travelling and just watching them at home feel like I do, I can't imagine what they're like at the moment. Um, I mean, I know a lot of the Ferrari crew ended up really ill. There was talk at one point of, like, them having to, like, get reserve drivers to, like, help with pit stops (laughs) and weird stuff like that. They were just so short on people, like... Yeah. Yeah. And... We're now already only 10 days away from being back in the States for Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy run into the end of the season. Crazy run. But that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about Brazil. So let's uh, let's get into that. I think probably the biggest talking point has to be Alonso versus Perez. I I mentioned it in the lead-in, but what a fight to the end that was. Yeah, so we're starting at the end of the race this time. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Like it was, it was already great just watching initially Perez closing the gap and then just watching Alonso defending for what felt like fifteen or twenty laps of just constant defense and just like his car positioning and like the way he used his battery and the way he was using his tires was just so good. Like, yeah. And then to have on top of that those final two laps with two just absolute worldies of overtakes from both of them. Yeah, I feel like if that had been most people other than Alonso, I'm not saying just Alonso, but a lot of other people, Perez would have got past and maybe even disappeared a lot quicker than, um, a lot quicker than. Well, he didn't get past and disappeared. Did he? he got past yeah. briefly, but yeah, I, I I feel like a lot of other people wouldn't <laughs> have been able to put the fight up that Alonso did. Just. Wily track positioning. We use that word a lot around Fernando Alonso, but I think this yeah. that defense sort of typified like, and and just the way he got back past. Like the reason he got back past Perez was being able to force Perez into a position he didn't want to be in. Like there's there's getting a guy to defend, but Alonso used that to attack. Yeah, like he put himself in a position he knew would compromise Perez if he had to defend it. So he wasn't like going into turn ones thinking, I'm going to get the move. He was going into turn one, planning for turn four. Like it was a, I'm going to put him on a bad line here. So I've got the run into four. And like, that is just pure racecraft. I've got so much time for for watching something like that unfold. It's brilliant. It's just another example of Alonso is just still like, so hungry for it like you give him a sniff of a good result yeah. and he's just as good as he's ever been um 
I think Perez will probably look back and think he probably over-defended at the beginning of the final lap. He was yeah. sort of defending mm-hmm. fresh air. He, he kind of fell right into what Alonso wanted him to do. Um, yeah. Easy to say now, obviously, but um, I think he'll maybe look back on that and be a little mad at himself. But um, yeah, I, I think nice there was to see like after the race. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, I was just gonna say I think there was also an element of um, uh, like Julian Palmer pointed out on the F1 TV coverage, but I think there was also an element of Perez had reached almost a point of desperation and kind of stored up as much battery energy as he could deploy mm. and deployed it all on the penultimate lap. And when he did what he did and he got past the way he did, I sort of always thought to myself, you've done that a lap too early, Sergio. Like, <laughs> they, anybody else, okay, but like the likes of Orlando, Hamilton and Verstappen, they're the kind of people that you maybe don't do it giving them one more lap to have a go back at you. There's like a few names on that grid, and he's de- Alonso is definitely one of them. Where you don't give him that extra lap, to no, do it. and it yeah, it rang true, didn't it? Like like I say, I think I think Julian's onto something when he says Perez used a lot of energy to get past Alonso, and then had nothing left in the tank to to be able to defend on the on the final lap. But it's almost yeah. like um like an oval race in IndyCar. Like in, in the yeah. running to the end, you've got to choose when you make your move because you go too soon and they're just gonna stream back past you. Yeah. Um It was nice as well just to see after the race they were both just like beaming and just to clearly had a great time out there. Like even Perez who'd lost a podium or not gained a podium, I suppose. Yeah. It's just like that was really fun. I love racing against Fernando. Like, so good. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, and then obviously there's the drag to the line as well. Um, it was really interesting watching the two of them. Like, Alonso always took such a different line through that final corner to, like, get a slingshot out of it compared to Perez. Um, <laughs> and I think that's maybe what saved him in the end, like really getting a good exit because Perez was right on him. It was forty five hundredths in the end across the line. Yeah, point zero five three. Yeah, unbelievable. I, um, I kept hearing it referred to as fifty three thousandth because they like to go to the smallest mm. measurement that they can to make it sound even closer, even more dramatic. So it was like fifty three thousandths, and then I heard him <laughs> say like half a tenth, and I was like, they're the same amount of measure yeah like one sounds a lot more dramatic yeah like there's they're just like two steps away from each other and <laughs> the the fifty three thousand sounds a heck of a lot more dramatic than half a tenth yeah but, yeah <laughs> i mean what a turnaround for aston martin though after oh, yeah. the last few right ra- well i mean the last few races have been miserable pretty much after mid-season, it's kind of felt like a gradual decline for them. Um, they basically said um, they approached this race with just, let's just go away and look at all of our data and try and put together the best package we can rather than what they've done in the last couple of races, which is forge ahead with the update package and try and make it work. And they've kind of ended up with a bit of a mix of old and new parts on the car this weekend, I think. Um, yeah. And all of a sudden, it's a near front running car again like well yeah i mean stroll and alonso on the second row together is something we've not seen all season like i mean alonso's been there or thereabouts early in the season but lance was a long way off so 
they they must have found i mean this sounds like a, it's, a, it's a slight dig at stroll i guess but like they must have found something in the car for them both to be where they were because i wouldn't yeah. particularly say anyone was having a a bad weekend let's say i think the only people that maybe got set up wrong and were probably a bit out of out of position all weekend was probably mercedes yeah mercedes went really heavy on uh aero and it just it was compromising them too much wasn't it down that like out of the final however many corners it officially counts as and, <laughs> and down the start finish straight like it was really compromising them there and it's the it's the curse of the sprint weekend i guess the one practice session if you've not got everything right by the end of fp1 your whole weekend's up for scrap yep. isn't it and i think mercedes but, um... fell victim to that a little bit unfortunately but yeah i think whatever, I think whatever aston right, martin yeah. doing yeah i think what aston martin are doing now i got sidetracked but yeah whatever they've put together now appears to be like a legit package finally for them yeah, I mean, Stroll was two positions less than seven seconds behind Alonso, which is yeah as close as being in a long time. And it, it makes me wonder if a lot of Stroll's struggles have been the way they've developed this car has taken away some drivability and Alonso has been able to drive around those issues more so than Stroll has and maybe that's where the, the gulf between the two of them has been. And now they've kind of brought the car back towards the drivers a bit. Yeah, you know that gap has come down. I mean, yeah, you you also have to just look at where they ended up in the sprint as well, because sprint shootout wasn't brilliant for the Astons, but they both ended up what tenth and eleventh, I think. Somewhere was that right, or is it eleventh, twelfth? Eleventh, twelfth, I think yeah. they were. And considering they were starting, I think it was seventeenth and seventeenth. Like that's a good like five that, yeah. positions each, uh, if not more. So I think that raceability uh, come with where they were in Friday's qualifying and then managing to hold on to those positions fairly legitimately for the for the race itself. I mean, I'd sort of expect them to get beat by A McLaren, if not both of them, I think, just yeah. given recent form. Um I don't I feel like Ferrari were maybe another team that actually had a going back on what I said before, Ferrari had a bit of an bit of an off weekend and would have probably given him a bit more of a fight but i yeah. think given the situation aston martin were like looking more like the team from the start of the season where essentially we're going to be one of the fastest if not the fastest behind red bull yeah um yeah very which much is so. at least a good sign for going into next season a man as a team they needed that result as well like yeah especially coming off them, these yeah yeah like, because these triple headers they must all be exhausted and to yeah. have this as like a reward for the hard work yeah they really need yeah. it uh we got some chat about perez as well i mean that was about as good a drive as we've seen from perez in some time um ninth on the grid to fourth in the end um obviously that gives him a bit of breathing room in the fight for second he's got 32 points over hamilton now which Given the struggles Mercedes had and what they're saying about their optimism or lack of Vegas, I think <laughs> Perez is looking very good for that second place now. Um, yeah, it's, it's whether it's enough for them to, like, like I said, I've said it for a number of weeks now. That's the deciding factor. I think, I think the only way you, he will hold on to the seat is if he stays above Lewis and 
luckily it looks like that might be the case as long as nothing drastic happens in Vegas or Abu Dhabi for Sergio Perez I think that's of what is what's the gap now 32 points did you say it was now yeah yeah so a, a sprint weekend that's gone in Perez's favor has helped quite a lot there because we were talking at was it 20 points last time out? Yeah, at its lowest, I think. Yeah, so... Like Hamilton yeah. needs a second and a third and two Perez zero pointers there really to close that gap in two races, which I think is highly unlikely at this point. Yeah. So it, it's looking like second is yeah. is safe for him. It's just now going to be a question of is the seat safe for him? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if you've got this anywhere else in the show, but... Did you see the thing with Fernando having to like shut down rumours of him going and taking that seat? I did, yeah. I'd actually put it on the show, so I kind of forgot about that. But that whole thing last week was kind of ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah, that I sort of felt like that made the battle on track yet more poignant as I was watching it. Because you've got <laughs> all these things of... Well, the the paddock is saying Alonso is a pretty much done deal to Red Bull to replace Perez next season. And then you've got Alonso saying, No, I'm staying where I am and we're making this work. And then you got the you got that battle between the two of them. I just think it yeah. like added a little extra bit to it. <clears throat> but yeah, it's um I think Perez will probably be okay now because although Ricardo had his very good performance in the States. Him and Yuki were quite close, I would say, if not mm-hmm. tit for tat all weekend this weekend. Um, like, they weren't far apart at all, realistically, whether they were side by side for a lot of it in terms of, like, qualifying. Um, yeah, they were sprint pretty shootout close. Were pretty close. Uh, sprint finish. They both got. No, Ricardo was just outside the points and sprint finish, wasn't he? It was only Sonoda yeah. that got points in the sprint finish. Uh, and then race result-wise, Sonoda got points and um, Ricardo took the damage in the end and ended up a lap down. Yeah, so it was a bit I mean, of a write-off for him. Chance. But, um, but yeah, in qualifying, it was yeah. less than a tenth between the two of them in Sonoda's so, favour. Um, although yeah. I think... I'm right in saying Ricardo is carrying a bit of damage in qualifying. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> last thing on Perez before we move on. Good drive from him. He's not quite getting a podium from ninth on the grid. Good enough in that car. As we often do, imagine Verstappen starting ninth in that race. You kind of just think, still have to assume he would have won. Like, and is it, just, is it unfair to be comparing Checo to that standard? I think they're they're completely different drivers. Verstappen's on another level. I think if you put um, a lot of drivers in that car starting ninth, they'd maybe get a podium out of it. But I don't necessarily think they'd all win it. Um, like, put. Put your Verstappen's, your Norris's, Alonso's, Hamilton's, all those kind of drivers in that car, they'll do what Verstappen does. But put your, I don't know, Ocon's, Gasly's, Sainz maybe would get a win out of it. But like, there's, there's a whole bunch of drivers that I think would have fared about as well as Perez. Yeah. Maybe beaten a lot, gotten ahead of Alonso a little bit sooner. But Alonso's a, 
a very tough person to go wheel to wheel against. So that's true. I, I think with the way this this stage of the season, I won't hold it against Perez because the other teams have caught up to Red Bull drastically compared to where we were at the start of the season. If we were talking about this 10, 15 races ago, I'd have said, that's not good enough. But at this point in the season where everyone's pegged Red Bull back a little bit, I'd say feels probably about right. And he probably would have got the podium if it were if it was anyone other than Alonso and Hamilton in front of him. I think he'd have probably outdone them onto the podium. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, I don't want to... I don't have too much of a go with Perez on what was <laughs> still a very good weekend for him, um, all things considered. And I do I think, think he probably did have the worst version of trying to get a podium with Alonso being the uh, yeah the man in I, front of him. I think the big thing for Checo to take away from this is the bounce back from the horrible turn one incident for him in Mexico yeah. a week earlier. Um, that is resilience. I didn't think he'd have in him at this point, if I'm totally honest. I thought that incident, Mexico turn one, would have basically just killed any... Crushed his spirit. Yeah, any spirit he had left for the rest of the season. So for him to actually bounce back from it and get a half-decent performance out of it and score some and... points and keep the gap, keep pushing the gap to Hamilton, I think says he's maybe stronger than a lot of us gave him credit for. Mm, and lots of good, clean wheel-to-wheel racing in the process, yes. which has been an area he's been severely lacking in in the second half of the season. So yeah, good to see that as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll quickly do Max, because we're already sort of semi-talking about him. Um, 17th win of the year for him, um, which breaks a 71-year-old record of <laughs> the highest win percentage in a season. Um, that was previously held by uh, Alberto Ascari. In the 1952 season, he won six of the eight races. Eight race seasons. <laughs> it's laughable now, isn't it, with the seasons we have now? Um, but that was a 75% win percentage for him. Um, Max now, even if he loses the next two races, will be guaranteed 77%. Um, and it's a funny one because a lot of these kind of records with, you know, total this, total that, yeah. kind of get easier to break as we have more and more races per season. This is a record that arguably only gets harder the more races there are. Yeah. So for him to break that record in the longest season there's ever been is. Do you happen to have the info on how close anyone else has gotten? Like, surely there must be people in the low 70s before now. I feel. As Chris now checks that stat. <laughs> yeah, I'm intrigued. Um... I feel like there must be an era of either Schumacher Ferrari or Sebastian Vettel Red Bull that was low 70s and must have come close. Um, I've put you on the spot now, I'm sorry. You have, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm waiting for the... telling us Seb had a 72%. That, I mean, that sounds reasonable. Here we go, here we go. That'll be like an 18-race season, probably. So what's that, like 12 wins? There, here we go, got it. Um, 
So yeah, Ascari had 75, Max is currently on track for at least 77. Schumacher 2004 was 72. Jim okay. Clark in 63 was 70. Vettel in 2013 was 68. Um, Verstappen was 68 last year as well. And then Fangio 54 was 66. Schumacher okay. and Hamilton both have a 64. And then I just realised how bad my maths was when I was saying Vettel got 12 out of 18 roughly. And that's not 75%. That's nearer the 68% that you quoted. Before. 13 out of 19, Seb got. Oh, I mean. You were close. You I were was very close. close. I was close. <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry for my bad maths the first time. Please don't chastise that's, me that's for that. That's a funny little side note to these stats as well. So, Schumacher and Hamilton have both got a 64% season. And mm. they both had 11 wins out of 17 races. Schumacher's mm-hmm. was in 2002 because there were only 17 races. Hamilton's yeah. was in uh, 2020 because through COVID, it was only possible to have 17 races. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, very much getting sidetracked there. Um, yeah. I mean, this, this but, is what people come for, I think. It just, I hope. I mean, do we just continue to see an unbelievable <laughs> period of dominance? Um, and, yeah. Like, you just have to kind of appreciate it while it's happening, don't you? Yeah, 100%. Right, should we rewind all the way back to the first lap of the race? <laughs> yeah, we've done the end of the race. Now yeah, let's do the, the beginning end. of the race. Yeah, so we lost Albon and Magnussen before we even got to turn one. Um, sort of three wide with poor Hulkenberg in the middle. I say Hulkenberg, he at least survived it. Um, yeah. What do you, so it, from watching the replays, the initial contact was Albon's rear left making contact with Hulkenberg's front right, which kind of speared him across the front of him mm-hmm. into Magnussen. Mm-hmm. Do you think this? Do you think there's blame that can be apportioned? Do you just see this as racing incident? I haven't gone to like extreme depths on rewatching it, but from what I did rewatch, there's a bit of a Magnussen sort of drifts across in front of Hulkenberg, which kind of pinches him a little bit in an unwinnable situation between his mm. teammate's rear wheel and Albon's side pod, and it's. It's a clustered turn one, isn't it, I think? Yeah, I mean, you could argue that Magnussen had tons of room on his left-hand side. There was no reason for him yeah. to go in right. I, I think but at the if, same time, like, they're racing. Like, Yeah, I think if you're going to place blame anywhere, that's probably the driver you have to place it with. But I think there's always that much going on in those scenarios um and it's it's a relatively short run into turn one isn't it um and it's a it's fairly unique turn one i want to say as well with the way it drops away and like there's a lot going on in that moment and i think that's why we have the slight exceptions around what happens in those moments compared to happening mid-race when it's a lot less hectic like yeah, had that been the three of them trying to go three abreast into turn one in normal racing conditions and Magnussen starts moving across, you ask a lot more questions. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think in any other exactly- scenario, you'd throw the blame towards him, but I think it's a, li- it's a little easier to go lenient considering the situation that they are in. It goes back to what we were saying about Perez 
last race, like on the run to turn one. Yeah, true. You can't move across on someone assuming there's a space to their other side you have to kind of semi-assume there might also be a car there but yeah yeah i do think ultimately it was just one of those things um yeah i think so piastri and ricardo got a court opinion as well um for anyone uh, any australians who were staying up late or getting (laughs) up early whichever it would have been to watch that um yeah Piastri, Piastri is so unlucky. Like he was kind of past it, and then Magnussen just kind of spun into the back of him. And then I guess equally unlucky was Ricardo just having a tire drop out of the sky onto his rear wing. Like they both did their best to avoid it, but not a lot they could do about it. Um, yeah. I mean that that tire flying around was a little bit scary. Yeah, um, yeah, it was like the outer carcass, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. And then we had the, a weird situation where they both pitted for repairs i mean initially i think they were both on the verge of being retired and then the they were going to went. retire yeah yeah 100 but because the they went into the pits at the end of lap one and then we had the safety car for a couple of laps they were actually technically two laps down by the by the point the red flag was waved um because i've seen people asking why they weren't allowed to unlap themselves you might remember back at yeah. Imola 2021 um, Hamilton was a lap down and then was allowed to unlap himself after a red flag but apparently that only applies if you are a single lap down not if you're more than one lap down um, I mean both the drivers are pretty frustrated by that rule like Ricardo said he had yeah. great pace for the race but he was a lap down from the start there was nothing he could do about it um, I mean I guess there's kind of two questions that come from that from me like one is does that rule need looking at? Should lapped cars just be allowed to unlap themselves up to the point of the red flag? And then the other question is just, should that red flag have come out straight away? Like, it was uh, very obvious to me that was going to need a red flag. I think that is the problem here. Not necessarily the way the rule works, because, yeah, you could have somebody, like, pitting for damage five laps ago or something, and would have effectively been out of the race and weren't even attempting mm. to get back in it. And then a red flag saying they can fix it and unlap themselves is a bit of a... It's a bit of a weird one. It's a bit like the whole paradox we had with Perez spending however many laps it was in the pit and then going back out. And and I guess that's all the argument against it, right? Like, if in yeah. Japan there'd have been a late red flag and yeah, they'd be exactly. like, oh, we fixed his car, can he unlap himself? Exactly, He's yeah. 35 laps behind, and we all have to sit there and watch Perez <laughs> yeah. unlapping himself for 35 so laps. I, I, think, I think you do need a limit on what that, yeah. what is allowed on that. Like, I guess the argument is, if they were reasonably in the race up until like the incident that's caused the red flag or, or the lead-up to the incident, then that, that warrants them being able to do that. Or, or if they just generally a lap down and because it, it's like towards the end of the race and some people have just been lapped yeah. naturally and it gives them an opportunity to unlap themselves. So I think that there is situations you could use it, but I think, yeah, the big failure here is how long it took to call the red flag. Like that that barrier was a very like traditional style stack of tyres with netting yeah. holding it together. Like that's not a tech pro that you can just push back into place replace a missing piece if you need to and job's good send the guys going again it's a we need to stop clear the cars and properly repair that barrier same as if they'd 
they'd done serious damage to the I don't even know what the proper name for him is, you know, the metal ones that we, that the, we have. Yeah, the Armco. Armco, thank you, yeah. Um yeah, if you've done proper damage to that, like again it's the same scenario, it's it's a guaranteed red flag because yeah. you need to take the section out and replace it. Um so yeah, I would have thought that it was a little bit more obvious that that needed to come a lot sooner, but because mm-hmm. the yeah. the other problem with that is if a, if a similar situation arises again now and you've got someone who's got a damaged car and needs to come in to repair it, if it's like safety car but looks like a lightly red flag, surely the incentive out. is there to be like your car's damaged but it's still running, just stay out there. Drive yeah. around with a potentially unsafe car until the red comes out, and then yeah. we won't lose a lap. And... Yeah, and basically, if they decide that they're going racing again without the need for the red because it's maybe not as severe as first thought, you just pit when they bring it in. Then you, yeah. you, you bring it in before the safety car. Like I, I you're kind of it's... creating a situation where not pitting a damaged car is advantageous, which I don't think yeah. should be the case. Um, yeah, very true. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's officiating that needs to be better there, not team decisions and the the rules themselves. I think the rule is generally okay. It's more the officiating of the event, the adjudication of the event, however you want to put it, needs to be a little yeah. bit better there. Yeah. One of the more obvious red flags I've seen, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Who should we talk about next? Uh, Lando Norris what? kind of ended up just all on his own in second as he's done a few times this season um yeah he kind of seems to be faster than everyone else but nowhere near fast enough to challenge max <laughs> yeah because he i mean he had like a couple of runs at him and then max was like okay you've had your fun i'll just i'll just put two seconds on you in the space of a couple of laps um but yeah five podiums in six races for norris now um yeah just continues to be driving extremely well yeah, I mean, I can't. It always sounds very biased when I'm when I'm talking about Lando Norris <laughs> because of my position, but I do think that there's not much he's done wrong in recent times, if anything. Um, I mean, yeah. he even I mean, the he only... even decided to push Max a little bit just to see, like, yeah. how much is Max really pushing? Like, can I have a go at him here? And Max responded with a, "Okay, I'm not." You know, I'm not dawdling here today. Like, Lando <laughs> wants this, so yeah. And there, to be fair, there's there's a lot of respect between them. Like, it's it's clear that they've both got a lot of respect for each other. I mean, you see it a lot of the time, anyway, between the two of them. But in the way that they talk, but like after the race, both individual interviews and the way they spoke to each other, you you could tell that like Max did feel a little bit threatened by how much pace Lando had, and he was like. I had to push to pull away from him. Like I had to, yeah. I had to make make the difference there. Um, and yeah, I think Lando sort of knew that Max always could, but acknowledged the fact that he he put him in a difficult position that Max had to drive for the win. It wasn't just a a cruise home like it can be a lot of weekends for him this season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, nothing. But did, did Norris officially win Driver of the Day as well? Maybe because he did. Alonso's battle hadn't fully unfolded at that point. <laughs> so I'm not the only think... one that thinks he's doing well, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and the only disappointment really is that McLaren kind of cocked up 
qualifying by sending him out too late. Because, um, mm. I mean, well, I guess as Norris proved in the sprint shootouts, like he had pole position pace for sure. He probably should have yeah. been on pole. Um, and I mean, given the start he had, he went like sixth to second by turn one. <laughs> I mean, he had have been on the front row, even if he qualified second, he'd have been in the lead. I think. It, I think it would it, have been a more interesting race had Max actually had to fight his way past Lando a bit. If it hadn't been for some of the track battles we saw, that was almost a slam dunk for move of the day. That was outrageous. I think. Yeah, it was ridiculous. That start, like, it was like he was playing the game on easy. Like, the the pace that he just undertook everybody on that inside line was like he caught them all napping yeah. i genuinely thought when i saw how far up he'd got i was like genuinely in disbelief thinking he must have jump started to clear what was it four cars like that or five cars was he sixth he was sixth wasn't sixth, he yeah and ended up second so yeah to clear four cars that quickly i think yeah, I was I was yeah. in slight disbelief at first, let's put it that way. I'll tell you who did get away with a jump start, which wasn't shown on the broadcast at all. Yes. Um, Mr. Hamilton, yeah. He, so, he moved before the lights stopped and then went again, and he just he didn't trigger the transponder, basically. So he got away with it. We got a little bit of a look back at this during the red flag on F1 TV. I don't know if you uh, okay, watched it through that, that or if you... Yeah, okay. So we got a little bit of a look at it because somebody on coverage, it was either Hinchcliffe or Palmer, pointed out that they thought that he'd gone a bit early. But he sort of, he goes to go, then sort of rolls a little bit and then goes again. And it looked like that very quick lift off to sort of coast just momentarily was enough to stay the right side of the transponder for long enough that... It didn't trigger a jump. Like it was, it was very, very close. But I think he probably did just about enough to get away with it. Um, kind, it will have probably been about as close as that time when everyone thought Valtteri jump started. But it was just yeah. insane reaction times. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chris, I shouldn't use air quotes for that. <laughs> um. Right, well, we've gone backwards as far as lap one. Should we go a bit further back into the formation <laughs> lap now? Yeah, let's go to the formation lap. Oh, poor Charles Leclerc. Um, that's twi- twice now in his career he's been on the front row and not started a race. Um, this time, in more dramatic fashion, he's went into the wall on the uh, formation lap. Ferrari have said it was an electrical issue which caused the engine hydraulics to shut down. Um, and then they actually said when he managed to get the car moving again, he barely started moving and the same issue happened again, which is why he just pulled out from retired there and then. Yeah. Um, I mean, what a miserable season the poor guys had. <laughs> I mean, this is a second failure to start for Ferrari. And is it across this sprint week? I'm trying to think when Sciences was. It was recent. I can't remember um... if it was at the start of the three... The triple header. Would Someone in chat remind me which race it was. Oh, no, it wasn't. No, it was, oh, yeah, for, it was. Oh, I don't know. I don't think it was this triple header. It might have been Qatar. But in recent races, essentially. Yeah. Science also didn't start. Um, 
So yeah, a lot of a lot of gremlins in that Ferrari system at the minute. Yeah, I mean, I'm being told I was right in saying Qatar by chat. Thanks, Sarah. Nice. Um, I mean, signs kind of say Ferrari's blushed a little bit. Um, well, massively helped by the Mercedes having shocking pace, but signs yeah. managed to bring it home in sixth in what was a. I mean, that Ferrari was well off the pace of the Aston Martins, but he's, I guess he did what he could with it under the circumstances. Um, yeah, I think that there, um, we, there was a race recently where we thought maybe they've got their tyre situation under control with the updates, but sad to say over the last couple of races, I think that's not the case anymore. I think it was just a, an off chance that they looked okay on them for a weekend it just seems and... to be on a knife edge doesn't it sometimes it's great and mm. other times it's just not at all um, yeah yeah despite that they did close the gap to Mercedes slightly it's um, 20 points between Mercedes and Ferrari for second in the constructors now so still pretty open that especially if Mercedes are yeah, having yeah. as bad a time as they seem to be um, yeah but yeah pretty miserable weekend for Ferrari um, yeah We'll quickly do Alpine, uh, double points finish again. Uh, really good drive from Gasly from 15th on the grid up to 7th. Um, yeah. Like passing people he had no business <laughs> really passing on the way to do it. Uh, yeah, really strong drive from him. Uh, good, I say good points for them. They're kind of in no man's land, aren't they, Alpine? They're like miles yeah. ahead of Williams, miles behind Aston Martin. So yeah, they're not really racing for anything right now. <laughs> futile. Yeah. Um, we keep threatening to talk about Mercedes. Let's go ahead and do it. Uh, <laughs> Toto Wolff said it was their worst weekend in 13 years. Um, ironically, pretty much a year exactly after their most recent win. Um, uh, Hamilton came home eighth. He was over a minute off the lead. Russell went backwards and then retired in the end with a overheating power unit. Um, it was just terrible. Like they were, The tyre deck was atrocious through the sprint and the Grand Prix. Um, Toto Wolff said it was the sprint format didn't help them. He basically said every weekend <laughs> they start their weekend trying to work their way out of problems they have and they just didn't have the time to do it this weekend. Yeah, yeah I mean I think every other team on this is, I mean I, I like Mercedes every, people know I do but I think every other team on the grid would say same applies to all of us. Like, yeah, come, come with a car you understand. <laughs> I, I mean, it's true though, isn't it? I think that the problem lies is that they, in that they change the philosophy far too late. Um, I think there was a, um, I can't remember who made the, the connection, but somebody over the weekend pointed out the fact that last year's performance here is what made them kind of stick with the old philosophy they were like see it does work if we get it right we can we can continue with this and make it work and ironically it's here that they're now saying like this has been one of the worst weekends we've had in a long time because we don't understand the car like if they'd have made the commitment to change sooner They'd probably be in a much better place now. Yeah, and I think I think it is getting better, but when they're still trying to learn upgrades and updates, and still trying to learn overall the best balance for the car, 
two sprint races in a triple header weekend is not going to do them any favors at all. No, not at all. So, and and that's I think that's the changing things. Um, and still not understanding them this late in the season is a curse for them in that regard. That's why the sprint the sprint weekends don't work for them. If they're in a position like say McLaren are, where McLaren generally understand the car, it's more of a a strategic thing that's let them down on sprint weekends, that's a little bit different because fundamentally they can go on the Sunday in the race and get a result even if they've not had the greatest qualifying on Friday because of usually strategy or driver error it's been, hasn't it? Like Their, their qualifying woes in sprint weekends has generally been stuff like track limits getting good laps deleted or a little bit of a poor planning decision in terms of when to send somebody out. Like it's, it's been avoidable. Whereas Mercedes just fundamentally still don't properly understand that car, and a single practice session on a Friday afternoon is not going to help them Ain't understand it. that any better, is it? Yeah, and I think as well, like to continue the McLaren comparison, like McLaren started this season saying like the car's not where we want it to be. Yeah, we know we've got a good platform. We know what we need to do. And yeah. they've just built from there. Whereas Mercedes, it just kind of feels like they've been like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, yeah, and they're kind bit. of trying to improve this year's car while also developing towards next year's car. Like they put a brand new floor on it two races ago that seemed to work great out the box and then hasn't worked the next two races. Like they're kind of all at sea. I mean, like a very downbeat Lewis Hamilton after the race said that the way things currently are, he can't see them catching Red Bull for a couple of years, which is maybe a little overdramatic under the circumstances, but <sighs> they are a long way off right now. Yeah, I think given, given the off-season and getting to grips with the philosophy and so on, I think they'll come back in a strong place next season. Like Mercedes is a team and not a team to to take things lying down and just give up, are they? They're not. That's not how they rule. So I'm I'm sure that they will get it. The problem is that I guess they've kind of had the almost opposite arc of Aston Martin, which is started with the wrong thing, tried to turn it to the right thing. Some's worked, some's not, and they're now just trying to hash together the good bits that they can work. What they can work out are the good bits. And Aston kind of went the other way, started really, really strong, put stuff on it, and kind of lost pace, and are now trying to work out like what of that actually would have had an improvement on the original car, and what was just too far in the wrong direction. And again, trying to find the balance. And I guess that highlights the the difference. And then comparing it to the McLaren, like you did, the difference there is. They've started with a poor car as well. Arguably one of the worst cars, if not the worst car at the start of the season. Yeah. Um, they've started there, but had faith in, like you say, that base, that philosophy. Like They knew that they were essentially just behind schedule. It's not that they'd gotten anything wrong. It's just they were way behind the, where they needed to be in terms of development and production. And they've developed and produce parts for that car through the season to get to the summer midway through and suddenly look alive again and like they can compete and then a few races later literally been at the sharp end yeah um so i think 
there's something to be said for that. It's like having actual faith in what you've built and also understanding it. I think the problem with when Mercedes had faith in the old philosophy that they were they were running, they still didn't understand it at that point. The difference in McLaren is they knew that what they had fundamentally was good. They just had to build on it. Yeah, Mercedes still didn't understand it at that point and have built on something they didn't understand, and that's led to essentially two seasons of problems. Mm-hmm. We've kind of been answering a question for the inbox here, which I'll mention now from Sarah, who said, "Hey man, what the hell happened to the Frankenstein of a car called Mercedes?" <laughs> and I think that that says it like that's exactly what it feels like. It's just like cobbling together bits that may or may not work from last year and this year and sort of next year and yeah not not in a good place at all yeah lots of work to do um last driver i want to mention before we move on to awards and stuff is yuki sonoda um sort of made up for ricardo's nightmare by taking that car from 15th to 9th um for another vital couple of points from there um, he thought he could probably chase down Hamilton, but he had a clutch issue in the closing laps that he had to manage. But Alpha Terry have now gone from they were, two races ago, they were last in the standings. They're now only seven points behind Williams, who are in seventh. Like the the turnaround they've had in two weekends is really yeah. impressive. Um Passer planted on the bottom now, Alfa Romeo also no scorers. Um it's kind of that four-way fight's kind of now become can Haas nick some points to get off the bottom and can mm-hmm. Alfa Terry catch Williams, which would have been an un- like unthinkable thing two races ago, but yeah, very I think, doable. I think the 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 factor there is definitely Williams versus Alfa Tauri mm-hmm. um, for that seventh place. I don't genuinely don't see Haas being able to outscore any of those teams to get off the bottom. Can't see Haas like, being able to I mean, score. Yeah, I, the only team that they realistically gonna outscore is Alfa Romeo but even with like DNF double DNF for the team this weekend they've not outscored them so if they can't take advantage of a situation like that what else does it need? Yeah I mean Hass are still trying to score some points at um Kota but uh we'll maybe save that particular story for next yeah. week we'll see if that actually goes anywhere. Yeah um Maybe something to be read into the fact that this uptick in AlphaTauri form has coincided with Danny Rick coming back as well. Um, a little bit, I think. I mean, some of the points are his technically, aren't they? So yeah. you can't can't dispute that fact. Um, whether that's in turn made Yuki better, I don't know. Um, you'd have thought, to be fair. It would have probably gone the other way, and it would have made him even worse having the guy I, who's the shoe in for the Red Bull seat back as his teammate. I, I, yeah, I think he's handled the pressure of the changing teammates pretty well throughout this season. Like he's had three of them, hasn't he? So, I mean, I've got to think he's bringing kind of setup knowledge and direction to them as well. Like, exactly. I do think it's a factor for sure. Yeah, definitely. Right. Awards? Yeah, let's do some awards after digesting all that. So I alluded to it earlier. The official driver of the day was Lando Norris. Um, but I find it very hard sat here in my McLaren hat still. 
to not give it to Fernando Alonso. I don't know about you. Like, I mean, Lando drove extremely well, but he was a little pushed Max a little bit. But after that, he was basically just running his own race. It was yeah. like a race for. It was like a Max race for him, where he was that far ahead of everyone yeah. behind him that he was a sure it really was. position for him, and he just didn't quite have the pace. So, like, it, it's obviously a great drive. It was an amazing start, but I think Alonso had to literally battle for what he got and should have had it. I don't know how close the percentages were, to be fair, in terms of the official vote. I, I just never know that much attention, to be honest. It, it closed far too early. <laughs> yeah. Alonso should have definitely had it. Yeah, um, I think honorable mention for Gasly, as we said. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And Sonoda and Sargent as well. Actually, Sargent was really unlucky to not get a point. Yeah. He finished eleventh. Um, he had like pretty decent pace for the whole race. He did a good performance. I was, I was just like desperately hoping for like someone else to have a problem towards yeah. the end, so Sargent could nick a point. He had a yeah good weekend, yeah. but and, yeah, and I, another typical local Sargent point where there's hardly any finishes, so gets one by proxy. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he stayed I don't out of the think... trouble. Don't think I can look past Alonso either for this one. Yeah, fair enough. Um, move of the day. I mean, there's actually a lot to go through. Um, Brazil. I was, I was a little put out by the way that pre-race, the F1 TV coverage at least, maybe not so much the Sky coverage and other broadcasters. I don't know, but the F1 TV coverage in particular was getting a bit cringe with the Brazil always produces something magical whether it's this or this or this it will never ever disappoint and i'm like well done for just like bringing on the most boring race known to man so you've just like you've summoned it but in brazil's defense it did produce something pretty entertaining for the most part um, especially towards the end um yeah there was a lot going on there were a lot of really good moves I sort of lost track of him throughout, but I think whether it's because it happened towards the end, whether it's because it, what it meant, I don't know, but I think that last attack by Alonso, because as I said about it earlier, the way that he essentially played Perez, he put Perez exactly where he wanted him, yeah. on, the, on the extreme defensive, through the centre S, knowing full well it essentially gave him the lead, well, the lead, the position, um for turn four um and playing that game is pure racecraft so there were a lot of good overtakes a lot of good moves but i think that one probably took it for me yeah there, as you said there were a lot of good moves throughout the race i thought that perez's pass on alonso on the penultimate lap yeah was better than a lot of them and I was like, wow, Perez has gone a nicked move of the day right uh, to the death here. And that thought lasted precisely one lap until Alonso <laughs> went and one-upped it. Um, oh, I also wanted to give a mention here to, to push the definition of move of the day a little bit. A shout-out to the McLaren mechanics for effectively yeah. managing to replace the entire floor and rear wing on Piastri's car in about 20 minutes, I think, they had to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was very impressive. But yes, definitely Alonso's final move on Perez was the one for me. It was like just the right amount of aggressive. And as you say, like just playing him exactly yeah. as he wanted to. So good. Exactly. Speaking of moves as well, while we're here, this feels like a good point to mention it. 
yeah. saw a lot of talk early in the weekend, like, oh, DRS is going to be way too powerful here. I actually thought DRS was tuned pretty damn well. Like, you, I think we saw, all right, yeah. We saw the odd move where someone blasted past down the straight, but that was usually someone passing a Mercedes because they'd got no <laughs> grip without having a terrible yeah, exit to the last speaking. corner. But generally, DRS was bringing people kind of in range or alongside by turn one or turn four. I think yeah. it was just about right. Yeah, I don't really have any complaints for that for this weekend. That's almost something you notice as well. Like, if it's wrong, you tend to notice it straight away. And until you pointed out that people at the start of the weekend were a little bit apprehensive about it, I'd not even realised there was any apprehension about it in the sense that it didn't bother me at all through the sprint or the race. Um, I thought it was pretty much spot on this weekend. It's almost one of those things where when you're not thinking about it, it means it's working right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right, last award for this week. Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? Honestly. I mean, we can't not mention Leclerc again. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Mean, I mean, maybe Ferrari I'll send those the better, yeah. I feel your pain. Um, a submission from Stu, which I didn't notice, but Stu spotted at one point in the race, they put a graphic on screen that said Hamilton versus Hamilton, which nice. I found very entertaining. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean the the sort of the less fun one is the fact that some spectators were being let onto the runoff of turn one oh, while there were still cars that. out on the track. I didn't even see like, that. It was another one of those where there was a thing that said like the organisers of the race have been summoned to the stewards, which is never a good sign. Huh. Wait, I mean, completely comedic after such a serious one, but um, race control climactic changing conditions <laughs> yeah all right thanks for that really like roundabout way of saying it's raining <laughs> like what what did that even mean what did it actually even mean bizarre um yeah. the one for me is the video of max singing green green grass at home <laughs> on the slow down laugh like a why were they piping that through the radio to him in the first place <laughs> And then they just like sort of, it was, it kind of reminded me of um, William Shatner's singing where he's just kind of talking along to the music. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I enjoyed that. Oh, I mean, I have to join every Ferrari fan in saying the pain of Leclerc out on a formation lap out of that lot. It's just like to not even say. make the start is. In such a dramatic fashion as well. I know we've seen people not make starts before, but the closest thing I can remember to this was Verstappen in Budapest a few seasons ago, where he lost he lost it on the final corner. But at and... least it was raining then, so he had Yeah. That was like a driver error in, in slick conditions, but still yeah. like I mean, I guess this the most was just dramatic. And he, he made it to the start at least. Yeah, I guess a more similar one is um, Leclerc in Monaco a year or two ago when he'd been yes. to the end of qualifying and that was Ferrari were like, yeah, it looks fine, and he didn't even make it to the grid before it broke yeah. up again. Funnily enough, another Ferrari one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't look past that one either, unfortunately. Okay. Sorry, well, Ferrari fans. That is the awards done. Um, let's have a quick looking prediction corner. Um, I'm not going to mention our results because the less said about those, the better. Abysmal. Um, 
I'll go straight to the actual uh, listener board. So um, the only person to score three out of five this week being our top scorer was Charlotte Taylor. Uh, she got the double Verstappen and I believe Albon is the first DNF I think it was so um, good congratulations to you um, it actually brings herself into contention at the top of the table looking at it, it as does. well it's an interesting result that one so in terms of the table um, effortlessly still remains at the top on 43.5 but then you've got Kirsty Bradshaw on 41.5 and then as you say Charlotte Taylor's brought herself into the mix and, and kept herself in it with 41 points and James Hunt is also tied for third on 41 points as well so yeah with two races left that's a lot to play for so good luck to you and anyone else that's kind of not far behind you at the top of that table it's going to be an interesting couple of races um one thing I just want to address with predictions this week, seeing that we've just kind of talked about it briefly, <laughs> is WTF is WTF do I do with Charles Leclerc's random finishing <laughs> position? Because he didn't start, let alone finish. And I don't think we've ever had a random driver that's then not started the race. Um, so we've never really written any rules or specifics about how to handle this. So... What I've decided to do, just in the interests of trying to be as fair as possible, we put Leclerc in as being 20th because he never, he just never started, uh, which means that Liam McHugh, who was the only person who put Leclerc down as first DNF and 20th combined, will get a point for him being where he was, uh, which we think is the only real fair way to do this for if, this if time if you write down all 20 drivers um he will be at the bottom of the la- that list um, uh, as as of pointing out the timing tower did have him in 19th for quite a while which i think was a weird transponder thing if you look at the final official results <laughs> he's back down at the bottom um yeah so it's not a point for the first dnf the first dnf point will go to albon but for the random position random driver's position we've put him down as 20th on this occasion um we will hopefully that won't happen in the next two races i'd be very surprised <laughs> um, if it happens ever again to be but, honest yeah between now and the start of next season we'll at least take this under consideration and probably in the future we'll have an official clause in the rules that says if the random driver does not even does not start the race no points will be scored but because it's an anomaly and we feel nice. We'll, yeah, we'll call it the official. It is going to be called <laughs> the Leclerc rule. If a driver is the random driver and does not take the start of the race, zero points will be awarded. <laughs> Which I think is the obvious option, but uh, yeah. we, we, we're too nice and we don't, we don't have anything official in the rules, so we have to do something. I it guess. would seem mean to take a point off uh, poor Liam. <laughs> Yeah, especially as Liam was the only person who had faith yeah, in that exactly. Ferrari being out of the race early doors anyway. So if there'd been a lot of you, we might have changed his mind. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's that. Um, if you want to see the full results and everything like that and the rules that have been written, they're all available <laughs> at backofthegrid.com. Uh, there's also a couple of links there to the fantasy sites if you want to check your position there. Um, but yeah, to wrap things up, I think we've got just a couple of bits of inbox left that we've not already covered, haven't we? So let's... Um, Let's dive into that. Um, 
First, I'll do one from Blaze2010, who says, Hey man, with most track contracts set to expire in the 2030s, do we think races like this weekend are enough to get promoters to invest in proper circuits with cambered corners and elevation changes? Do you think the backlash from the public about Vegas caused them to reinvest in the circuits that already host races, such as WEC, uh, Le Mans or Indy? Um, sadly... I think that the people promoting the races, promoting circuits and investing in them don't care a whole lot about the quality of the circuits, unfortunately. I don't think that's particularly high on their priority list. Um, Because obviously this comes off the back of um, Brazil having a contract extension for another five years. So Interlagos is going to stay on the calendar until 2030 now. Um, which is great to see because this has always been one of the tracks where it's always been like, oh, is it going to keep its race? We'll give it like a one-year extension here and a one-year extension there. Um, so it's nice to see it get a proper big extension. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you, like, I, I, I would hope this is a sign that the powers that be are kind of understanding the need for some of these classic tracks as well as the newer ones, but wanting to believe it and it being true are two different things i guess yeah i think this is this is why people love circuits that they do like it's why spa has so many fans it's why this has so many fans it's not quite the same effect at suzuka but there's elements of it that you would consider old school elements i mean even Silverstone that's been that's pretty much dead flat. It's not necessarily the elevation changes specifically. Um but like proper racing corners, I think, proper racing layouts. And yeah, I do feel like when we just race on streets thirty percent of the time you lose a little bit of that. Um and it is alright for proportions of it, but when all the new races that are getting added to the calendar pretty much are street circuits, it's it's not the right direction to be heading in. Um, no, sure. And I think there's a lot to be said for... Like, I, I get that whole bring the race to the people. I, I do get it. Um, but that shouldn't be... The, the sole purpose of a track is to put it in the city because... Trust me, I can see plenty of people that the race has been brought to in Vegas in a couple of weeks that are not happy about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean... I think that goes for most of Vegas from what I've seen. Yeah, like, I think you've made an interesting choice to live in Vegas to begin with, in my opinion. <laughs> but, <laughs> like... Especially if you're living in what will be the vicinity of the track, because yeah. that is, like... But there are some people very disgruntled that they've, like, taken water out of some of the fountains to put, like... A top on it so that they can build the grandstand and yeah it's but that that's the reality of a street circuit like monaco has shut down half the year not just for formula one either but for tons of races that happen yeah there. all the historic stuff um and like look at singapore like uh if you if you saw those streets during the day they're absolutely stunning like the architecture and stuff but during a race weekend, you don't see any of it. It's just covered up by hoardings yeah. and crash structures and fences and stuff. So I think anyone that's near a street race is not happy about it. 
and I do I get the draw of them from an F1 perspective but I think that the more we just keep adding those to calendars and not add like constructing and promoting actual race circuits the less actual race circuits are going to get developed and I feel yeah. like nobody's got the incentive to go out of their way to build something like the next quarter or something because that I feel like I mean what was the last new new circuit other than quarter am I being stupid thinking that that was one of the most recent new circuits we've had mm. in terms of new new build like I mean, I know we've had a couple come back that have been reprofiled or changed or something, but... Yeah, I mean, arguably you could say uh, the Saudi Arabia circuit, because as much as they call that a street circuit, yeah, they built I guess it as it's... a racetrack first and then street second. Yeah. But um, yeah, in terms of a purpose-built racetrack that's going to be used all year round, I don't think there's a newer one on the calendar than Cota. Yeah, I mean, we're probably missing it's one glarious, glaringly probably, obvious that... Yeah. The comments will tell us about. I'm sure but... someone's screaming at the comment. Please do. Yeah. Please scream at us. In I the mean, comments. yeah, scream at me. Tell me what. Tell me what <laughs> I'm wrong about. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I just think that there's no incentive for the people that would be investing money into those kind of projects to do them because the the draw's not there anymore. And they're um, huge, expensive things to do yeah. to build a racetrack. So yeah. you've got to so really you need think that you're long contract that. to yeah in advance of it happening. Like you need to get the planning in, and you need to be essentially tied up with farm and the FIA in terms of this is going on the calendar for at least ten years once it's been constructed. Um, so nobody either discord's not working or nobody in discord is correcting us on the fact that <laughs> that was the most recent circuit so i'm going to assume that we're right at this point and move on to the next one um garrett says this is a nice simple question to end the show on what's worse than being a charles leclerc fan probably just being a is ferrari it... fan in general to be honest yeah driver, like driver agnostically at least at the minute. I mean, my initial reaction was to say, is it worse being a Perez fan? But at least there's been highlights <laughs> as a Perez fan this year. I don't remember there being... I mean, as if I've had a couple of Saturday highlights, I guess, for Ferrari. Well, for Leclerc particularly. But then seeing Leclerc get those couple of pole positions must have immediately been followed by the sinking feeling of how far is he going to fall back from the end of the race? Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to post one of our little custom emojis into Discord and then talk about it. Owning a Carlos Sainz Ferrari hat like moi. <laughs> That's more disappointing. And I mean, at worse least Sainz... a Charlie Claire fan. Yeah, at least Sainz had a win this year, though. True. The Claire's had just nothing. Just nothing good. Yeah. Awful. He's, yeah. I bet he cannot wait for this season to be over. I think there's a few people on that grid that probably feel the same way as well. To be yeah. fair, <laughs> there's I a few. A lot... just... I mean, Hamilton's words. Even well, science had. I cannot wait to put this clutch in the bin when we get back to Maranello. <laughs> Hamilton said something like, "I cannot wait to scrap this car and start a new one next year." Um, there's probably been other comments, but they're the two that stand out to me of people who. I've just had enough at this point. 
I like to think there's going to be at the um, at the gates of the circuit in uh, Abu Dhabi. There's just going to be a massive dumpster and just various teams <laughs> just throwing the cars in there. Like we never want to see this thing again. We're yeah. done with it. <laughs> um, Jose in chat saying Max can't wait for it to be over. Like he's like, yeah, I won this weeks ago. Like why are we even still? He's probably here? bored. Can I, mean, I just the, go the, home? The one lap where. Um, Lando tried to overtake it was probably the most exciting lap he's had in <laughs> weeks. Yeah, probably. Probably. Right, that is it for Inbox, and that wraps up the triple header um, finally. So we will be back next week, and we'll be looking ahead towards the inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix. Uh, in the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether it's for the Inbox or just to chat about things that we've talked about this week, you can find us on all the usual social media places, X, formerly known as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, you can head to the website, uh, backofthegrid.com, where there's a contact form. Uh, and then, obviously, if you're here on YouTube as well, you can, whilst you're subscribing and hitting that bell icon, you can head down to the comments and leave leave a comment there, and we'll, we'll always read them. So we'll, we'll always take on the feedback. We might not act on it, but we'll always read it at least. But yeah, if you've got an we inbox point, you can you can throw it down there, and we'll we'll pick them up there. So, um, tell us that we're wrong about Cota being the last new fully built purpose circuit. I'm sure we're missing one on that. I feel like I'm wrong. Like it feels <laughs> like it feels like saying that is a crazy person talking, but it is what it is but yeah that is it for this week so thank you to everyone who's joined us live in the discord and, and interacted with us if you want to find out how to get involved with that head to patreon.com forward slash back of the grid and then uh, yeah all the info is there so that is it for this week we will see you next week as we look ahead to Vegas bye everyone bye everyone